Hi, this is Mark from The Highlighter. And Anne with Annotations. And welcome to The Highlighter Podcast. Where we discuss the best articles and podcasts on race, education, and culture. Hello and welcome to the 34th episode of the Highlighter Podcast. This is Mark Icero. I'm your host for this week. Anne is on assignment for our podcast episode next week. I want to thank everybody for listening, whether this is your first time listening to the podcast or whether you've been listening for a long time. This podcast this month, we are focusing on the very important topic of reading. We're doing a deep dive on reading taking a look at different articles as well as podcast episodes, also getting out there into the field, talking to teachers and students and experts about this very important topic of reading. And this episode, I'm very excited, we're going to be having a conversation with a few teachers in San Francisco based on the lead article this month by Joan Kernan Cohn. The article is Appearing Acts. It Um, appeared in the highlighter newsletter number 137 and it's basically a story of a teacher who was looking at her students and looking at how they didn't really like to read and what she did about it on the show today are three wonderful teachers from san francisco they are todd smith nick nordlinger and shannon jenna lamborn and they're going to be talking about how they approach reading as well as what they thought about the article let's get right to that interview Thanks, everybody, for being here, all of us. Let's start with some introductions, going first from Todd. Hello, I'm Todd Smith, and I'm a 12th grade English teacher, and I'm excited to be talking about reading. Thank you so much. I'm Nick Nordlinger. I am a 10th grade literacy lab teacher, 9th grade learning specialist, and I am so excited that next year I'm going to be teaching 11th grade AP English literature. Super excited. Thanks, Nick. Hi, I'm Shannon Jenna Lamborn. I teach ninth grade at a small charter school in San Francisco, and I absolutely love reading. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being on the Highlighter podcast. This is a big deal, so thank you so much for being here. This is the first time we've had a panel discussion, and I'm excited to have you here just because you do care so much about reading as teachers, and you have a lot of successes. And But first, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you... Why do you feel, especially at high school, that independent reading is so important? Let's start with Shannon. Um, What I hear from a lot of my friends who are now voracious readers is that they never found a book they liked until college. And I think that that's because they never had the time. I think a lot of high schoolers just aren't given the time or the resources or the tools to be able to connect with books that they actually love reading. We just throw a book list at them. Yeah, Nick, what do you think? I think that um, in high school, it's it's a time where people are kind of developing their adult identities. I think more than just creating identity as a reader, that actually engaging with literature on an independent level increases empathy with people as you become an adult. It helps you understand other people's perspectives. It helps you understand that there's a lot of the world that you haven't seen and that you don't experience every day. It's sort of um, kind of like in the article we read, it's a way to live several lives simultaneously. And I think that's a really important habit in adulthood. Thanks, Don? Well, I feel like cultivating 
uh, reading, independent reading in students when they're still in high school will lead towards success and having them be readers for life or for a good part of their lives. Because, I mean, there's some pretty disturbing statistics out there at this point that talk about how, you know, you read a book and then once you're done with college, you don't ever read again. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, helping students figure out times that they can do that, then, um, then, that, then maybe they can fit it in with the rest of their lives. Yeah. But for, for some reason, even though it's probably very difficult to promote reading, you all have had some success. And um, let's just talk about some of the things that you have found successful. Who'd like to start? I can think of something that came to mind um, as soon as I was reading this article where the teacher had a little bit of stigma against genre fiction. And I know that that's actually something I experienced when I was in high school as well. But when I started teaching Literacy Lab two years ago and I was having a hard time engaging the students with some of the stories we were reading, I made the switch to really stories of high conflict, stories with a lot of going on, horror stories, science fiction stories. And that was one of the first places I found success. It was one of the first things that got students to sit up and start paying attention and realizing that reading could be exciting. Yeah, I noticed that too, actually, because a lot of English teachers never assign, for example, science fiction or fantasy or some of these other genres. And students, a lot of times, may like genres that teachers don't assign. Um, Shannon, I know that you've had a lot of success. What are some highlights? Um, I think one thing that just stands out to me is I had a reader in the beginning of the year, and even in the family conference with his mom, his mom was like, oh, I know that you, you try to get them to read. I just want to let you know he's never liked reading. You might have a bit of a struggle. And then over spring break last week, he comes up to me the last day before break and goes, hey, Mixel, can I, can I take my book home? And for me, I was just like, I flipped him. I did it. Like it happened. And that was so great. I think that I'm able to do that because I have a really robust library that is got graphic novels. It's got all these different like it has everything and it's always growing. And I think that when you have choice, you have more opportunities to really find that right book for that young person. And then how do you do that, though? Because this is all your own money, right? So you have a classroom library. Your school does not have a robust school library. Mm -hmm. um, how have you done it? Um, so Mark has actually introduced me to Donors Choose, but now I've flipped to my own website where I'm cataloging the books I'm reading, and it has a link to my Donors Choose. It has a link to my Amazon wish list. It's titled kimchiplease.com. Um, so you can keep up with what I'm reading. But I think the number one thing I do is I start kids off by asking them, well, what do you like? And they normally don't know, or at least they don't think they know. So I ask them about what television shows they like, what movies they like. Um, for re more resistant readers, I start them off with graphic novels, comic books, or things that have really quick plots. And it's all about talking to the students. Yeah, a lot of teachers, I feel, don't start because they assume that they have to get all these different books for all of their students. But Todd, have you found that there are some more popular books over time that students are reading? How do you try to, to get students to, um, you know, to be reading, especially if they haven't? Well, one of the things that I do is that I, as I'm a 12th grade teacher and I visit the 11th grade classrooms at the end of the year and give them a lovely summer reading assignment. And they actually are expected to read a couple of books. And one is the choice that they want to make, a, a, a book of their choice. And then the other one is off of a big, long list of books that they they um, 
that they want to choose from. And so, and then I start off my school year with having them talk about those books and present them in book talk format and things like that. But I, but your your question is really interesting because I feel like you know some of the. Um, mythology books that have been um, so popular over the last 10 years are kind of like waning at this point and it's just like what are what's the next thing urban fiction is super super um, uh, and the whole drama thing the you know high school drama books that that students like every one thing but I find that a, a, it's difficult to find books sometimes that are at a higher reading level that are uh, that are in that those genres so that's what I'm working on now and so is that your major issue that your problem that you see um, trying to find really high quality and high interest books also at a right lexile? Right. And um, but and that's part of it. But the other part is that like just also like, you know, we, we always want to push students to, oh, well, you know, if you learn to love to read what you love, then that's great. But I, I, I'm, I'm trying to move my students into like it's even better if you can read something that you don't think you would even think about mm -hmm. liking and then they learn and then they actually become interested in that and learn to love that i want to push on this too because um, before we get into the article because i think this is a big debate number one the debate about whether as teachers do we have a responsibility to encourage students to be reading within that lexile range the just right range or is it more interesting for them and also more important that they're just reading a whole lot? And also, does it matter from ninth to 12th grade? Do Nick or Shannon, do you have views on that? The whole idea of let's read a lot versus um, let's make sure that we have the just right book? Mm -hmm. I'll start. Or do you want to start? I mean, you can go for it. Uh, just a quick thing on this. I always like to communicate to students that the point of getting to a college reading level isn't to read only books at a college reading level for the rest of your life. And I always advertise to them that of my top three favorite books, one of them is at a college reading level, one of them is at a eighth grade reading level, one of them is at a fifth grade reading level. So like even as an adult who can read James Joyce, I don't necessarily choose to only read stuff at that level. So once you attain the highest level of Lexile score reading, you know, then you're free to travel between levels as you see fit. And I think that you should travel more based on interest than on Lexile. Mm -hmm. But you have to get there first. Yeah. Shannon? Piggybacking off of what Nick just said, I'm really, I think I try to find a mix in my classroom. So we do sustained silent reading several times a week where students can read anything. And I think that that's really important because I think a lot of young people think they hate reading. And I don't think that they actually hate reading. I think that they might have skill gaps. They might um, have challenges with reading. But most of all, I just don't think that they've ever really, I think they've had more negative experiences with books than positive. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we're really serious about transforming young people and uplifting them to be readers and to access their agency and their power through language, we have to first show them that there's a place for them in the world of literature, in the world of nonfiction, in the world of reading, that they are readers. But at the same time, like, yes, of course, they need to be able to access, you know, they need to be able to read a job application and understand it. They have to be able to read a lease. They like reading, being able to read means that there's less of a chance that people are going to take advantage of you. So I think it's an important mix of both teaching them how to get that Lexile level, but also teaching them that there is joy in reading. Yeah, and I think it's a great segue into the article. This article, which is the article really of the month, uh, this month, is um, called Appearing Acts. 
and is by a teacher who's now retired named Joan Kernan Cohn. She taught at El Cerrito High School. And this was an article that I read way, way back in the 90s. Um, it's an old article, but it's a, a wonderful article that's very classic. And um, I'd like to get into it first because the first thing that that uh, Ms. Cohn was talking about is that she started knowing that she wanted to um, promote more independent reading. So what she did, which is what a lot of people do, is she assigned independent reading for homework. Sort of like, choose a book, come on back in several weeks, and then she found out that nobody had actually finished the book. And so she later found out, like, she actually had to do, Shannon, like what you do, which is have a lot of SSR time or independent reading time. I want to ask you, because you're all teachers and English teachers, how do you make those decisions about how much time to read in class versus, versus how much students should be reading outside of class? Um, <laughs> I, it's hard, right? Yeah. Uh, Todd, what's your approach? What have you noticed? You've been teaching the lab class for a while. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, do you, uh, how do you decide what to do there? Well, I, I have a pretty... Um, strong routine is for the lab class, especially around SSR, and we do that um, twice a week on the um, on Mondays and Fridays because those are the, our longest periods with the with the longest amount of minutes, and so I, I feel like that's a good time to dedicate. I also have them do um, a daily tracker, and as part of their independent reading for homework, they are to record they record their um, pages that they read the the night before, and. Um, so, so those are some of the, the routines that I that I've built in, and it, it is a big it is a big decision because it's a big amount of time that you're giving, but you also want to if you want the payoff of them actually reading on their own independently for homework, then I feel like it really is very important to give that time in class so that they can um, be engaged in their book and not just put it down and pick it up like a few weeks later and not know have any idea what it was about. Yeah, a lot of teachers have told me that when visitors come in and they see the students doing SSR, then they always leave because not enough is happening in the classroom. Whereas we totally know that that is the most important thing that's happening in the classroom. Shannon, how much time do you devote to it? And let's say that you weren't teaching lab. Let's say that you were teaching English. You also have SSR in English as well. How do you decide on how often and how much to read in class? Well, this is my second year of teaching ninth grade. So last year I was really just like, okay, I'm going to do the bare minimum of reading in class. I feel like there's so much content. But this year I'm devoting more time. So we're averaging about an hour worth of class time every week, reading minimum. And I think that that's one of the things that is really important for me to prioritize because I think that beyond empathy, beyond self-empowerment beyond learning about yourself through the way you react to the things you're reading i think that reading is a really easy way to address skill gaps around grammar it's a really easy way to address skill gaps around vocabulary knowledge and depth and it's just like if we're really serious about having these young people really embrace literacy and the empowerment that goes along with that they they have to have that time and that space to reach that on their own because whatever i teach it's not going to connect with every single person. So if I have a student who hasn't been able to connect with anything I've taught all year, my hope is that they at least find something that they love to read on their own. And I'm there to support them with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ms. Cohn talks about choice, and she also talked about how she needed to move from homework to in-class, which you all do. Um, another thing that she talks about in the article is the importance of reader identity. Like, Shannon, you flipped a student's viewpoint on reading, mm-hmm. um, which is not easy to do. And I wanted to start <laughs> this question to, to Nick. Like, how have you found, have you noticed when students have said, oh, I'm not a reader, to when they are? And how has that happened for you? It's, it's interesting because there's a lot of different ways that happens. At, just like in this article, a lot of the time there's one or two, usually just one experience that sort of made them flip that switch and declare that they were a non-reader. They got confronted with a text that they didn't identify with or that made them feel stupid in some way or another, and they internalized that they were a non-reader. I do do a lot of reading in the classroom, and I do a lot of curating uh, because I get to know my students and I get to know what I think they'd be into. It's a lot of experimentation. It's a lot of, why don't you try this? You don't have to commit to it. Not into it? Okay, let's try something new. And I don't think it's it's always an exact matchup. It's not always, okay, you're from this community, you live in this kind of place, so you need to read a book about exactly that. Sometimes it's more of a psychoanalytical matchup, like, oh, you've told me before that you... <laughs> have a lot of anxiety, so maybe reading a, a book about something very scary will actually be a relatable experience to you. Or you've told me that you um, really like the aesthetics of the internet and you know gaming culture, so maybe something in the cyberpunk genre will be interesting to you. And it's about finding that aesthetic matchup. And then I think it's about building comprehension. Um, I think it's about doing exercises where you have the student describe what they're reading to you, have them explain images from their work, really push them on details uh, of perspective, of, of color, of imagery so that you're really helping them to create the movie in their head and they feel like they understand what they're reading. Yeah, I agree. And Shannon, you've talked also about how reading is both um, uh, both served as a mirror and a window. Can you say more about that? Because I think that that's a pretty deep approach to uh, teaching of reading. Um, yeah, so after students read, they answer reflective logs around empathy, which is the, the window, or self-identity, self-knowledge, which is the mirror. And I think that for students to be reflecting in that way. I think in the beginning of the year, a lot of students, what they do out of like habit is they kind of summarize what they've read. And that's important skill, but I think that we can go deeper. And I think that reading becomes much more meaningful when you start to see reading as a way to interact with the world. And you start to think of reading as a way to connect with others and to ultimately try to figure out like, what what do you value? What do you what do you think? How do you react to certain things? What are your perspectives? Like and then you start to teach them that if you have a perspective, your perspective matters because you're reading the perspective of someone else and really just building building connections with the larger world through reading. Yeah, I think that like it only takes one book too both to flip um, a a student's uh, reader identity, but also to get that fluency. Like one thing that I always um, had trouble with is that students might like to read, but let's say that they're not reading that book that's like that transformative book. If they're only going to read one or two or three books in an entire year, there's not enough chances um, in some ways. Um, Have you noticed that any of your students just like all of a sudden they have found a series or a genre and then they just go like Todd have you noticed that that all of a sudden you think that they might read just one or two books in a year and then all of a sudden it's like five or ten does that happen or is that pretty much anomaly well I'm not sure if I've seen that much gain in in students before but I definitely see um 
the idea that they 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 find a particular um, story or type of story and then they they want to read that and also one of the things that I also try to encourage students to do is like well if you really like that author then let's find something else by that author and see whether you like that one too and so so I have seen um, some gains in that where students actually um, are start thinking of themselves more as readers and we've been but let me I'm gonna switch gears a little bit here we, we're talking we've been talking about like um, the idea about connections and connections to the world but I I feel like reading is also an extremely important way for people to learn so it's just like it's not just about what you're interested in but it's about like learning new things about what um, what the world and maybe and finding new interests through reading and exploring that way and so I think that that's that's a really important aspect of reading yeah, I agree. And then Shannon earlier was talking about the importance of being able to read different things like job applications and mm-hmm. newspapers or stuff online. But I always found the reason that it's called independent reading is that the student is independent in their learning, in their passions, in their interests. They're not dependent on a teacher for the next step. They can just go down that road of what they're interested in, whatever genre it is. So I appreciate your point about learning. We have a couple more minutes, and so I wanted to get to the last piece of the Cone article, um, which is, I think, the hardest part, which is around talk and actually building a community. I'm sure you have friends, like students who are friends, who recommend books, and there's a good banter, but overall, as a class, I have found that that's one of the hardest things for teachers to build. You can have pair shares, you can have students celebrate their books or do book talks, but it's not always easy. What have been some best practices that you have, that you've tried that maybe other teachers should try? Because once the community really works, then it totally goes almost whole school. And it seems like you're almost there here at the school, but it, it, you need a little bit more. What would you suggest? Um, I want to give credit to Shannon on something that I, I've implemented, which is I get multiple copies of popular books, and students like to read them all at the same time. They form these sort of micro book clubs within the class. Uh, students really like to read um, Tears of a Tiger, the books of Shannon Draper together. Sharon, Sharon, Sharon Draper, thanks. And uh, the Perfect Chemistry series by Simone Alkalis was one that a, a, a lot of students were reading together. Um, also, even if students are all reading different books, as I said before, I teach literacy labs, so we do a lot of comprehension work. During comprehension work, the, sh- the students all take turns sharing aloud an image from what they've read. That is mostly to help build comprehension skills, but it also allows every student to have a turn in sharing a moment that stuck with them from what they were reading, and that creates sort of a culture of who can have sort of the most striking image to share during our discussion, which you know creates a culture of book discussion. Cool, great, Janet. Wow, um, I want to steal that. I think that, yeah, multiple copies really helps, but I think one thing, and this is something I'm still trying to build, but I love to kind of, when I recommend a book, I like to be like, oh, well, um, this person really read this book and they really loved it. And then framing this, like that person then or that other student, that peer, and I love to do it with like students who you wouldn't necessarily like guess is a reader because of stereotypes and just toxic masculinity and just like all of these things but I'll be like oh yeah this person really liked this book and then suddenly they're talking amongst themselves Mm -hmm. and what I think it's really great is after that being like oh so you really liked um like Matt de la Pena books so this person also really likes Matt de la Pena books let's figure out what else that person likes and then just trying to connect students across books like that but 
I don't know. I just, I think about all the times that I watch these, like, boys, girls, like, non-binary folks, just, like, students in general, just, like, talking. Or I have two students sitting at the same desk. They're not friends yet, but, like, they're both reading books by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just pointed that out really quickly. And then a little, a little mini discussion started. And I was like, oh! Friendship, book bonding, I'm, I'm always pushing the Stephen King because that's who got me into reading. He's a little antiquated in this generation, but he got me into reading, He and he still gets students into reading today. Yeah. And as Todd noted, the Rick Reardon books are very popular because they deal with mythology, and students love reading about mythology. <laughs> yeah. Last question. For the new teachers out there who are like, maybe I will try it, what's the first step? Let's start with Shannon. I think the first step is just getting multiple copies of really amazing books. And when you're trying to figure out what amazing books are, I mean, of course, like, again, I do review books on my blog, Kimchi, please. And that's like young adult pedagogy and all that stuff. But I think the first step is identifying, like, do you have a genre balance? Do you have graphic novels? Do you have horror? Do you have these really high gossipy things? And like, I would go to Goodreads. I would go to BuzzFeed has really great books. Um, for young adults and just doing your research and getting those books in for young people. They can't read if they don't have anything to read. Thanks, Shannon. What about you, uh, Todd? Um, I think just making sure that you are building time in your schedule to do that and not feel like it's you're you're wasting your time, that but that it's a really valuable, very useful time for students to actually engage in reading. So having a really good library, some schools have libraries, other schools have classrooms with libraries in them, you know, building that important library like what um, Shannon was saying, but also you know, just taking it that step further and really owning that it is okay for you to set aside this time in your classroom for students to engage in reading and in reading books that they are choosing for themselves. Thanks, Nick, final word. I think by sharing moments in your life that you felt uh, transported uh, or transformed by something you read. I always like to, at the beginning of class, share my memories of being young and staying up late uh, when I was supposed to be asleep reading Prisoner of Azkaban with a flashlight or working in a windowless warehouse and listening to The Once and Future King on tape and feeling like I was in medieval England and just like all the times books have been meaningful to me and I've always posed those stories and ask has anyone had an experience like that and some some students have and those who haven't I say well you're going to before before we're done and just encouraging that that's what I want you to experience when we uh, when we read. Great thank you. Shannon, Nick, and Todd thank you so much for Thanks. being here on the Highlighter Podcast. Thank you Mark. Thank you Mark. I want to thank Todd, Nick, and Shannon for being on the show, as well as to thank Ms. Cohn for your article. Hopefully I can reach out to you and get you on the show as well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. A couple things before we go. First thing is Highlighter Happy Hour number 5 is going to be happening this Thursday over in Oakland at Room 389, beginning at um, 5.30 p.m. So definitely swing by if you want to talk to other loyal subscribers and chat about the articles. And the second thing is we want to hear from you. Anne and I want to hear from you. Um, especially if you're a teacher who is struggling or having success with reading, um, please give us a call at 415-886-7475 and leave a voicemail. Otherwise, you can also see all of us over at the highlighter number 138, which is coming up just in a few days. Have a wonderful week, everybody.